Father God, thank you for this opportunity. Father, we want to believe, O oh Lord, that every moment we meet is that divine Kairos moment, O oh Lord God, and we want to redeem it, O oh Lord. We want to recognize it, redeem it. We we want to have the right. We want to not be intentionless at this point. We want to have faith. We want to have hope at this point, O oh Lord. We want to ex- have expectation at this point, O oh Lord God. We don't want to be even one moment far, O Lord. We don't want to be, we don't want anything to take this moment away from us, O Lord God. We don't want anything to take this blessing away from us. We don't want anything within us, O Lord God, O Lord God, to keep this moment from us. So we pray, O Lord, that you would pour out your spirit of wisdom and revelation because, Lord, no amount of study, no amount of separation, nothing, O Lord God, can buy what you have already bought for us on the cross, O Lord God. So we pray that you would pour out the gifts which you have purchased for us on Calvary, O Lord. You would pour out the revelations and the understanding which you have purchased for us and help us to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. Shall read it. The previous meetings, uh, Pastor James and Pastor Vijay, uh, they've been looking at time. Right, redeeming, uh, recognizing and redeeming time, what time is it and the messages have been on time and uh, I thought on continuing uh, on a passage which is also full of statements on time uh, but the message uh, is on why we miss opportune moments, those opportunities which we have been created for, why those things, why the Kairos moments elude us, yeah, anyone can read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. Yeah, yeah that's it. Okay, so Jesus has been born. He's been born, uh, he, he, now he's been in Bethlehem, which is about nine kilometers from Jerusalem, from where these, this thing is happening. And uh, it's been roughly two years since that. Nine kilometers is less than two hours if you're walking. Right? Even if you're walking moderately, it's less than two hours. The high priests are the people who have the most important ministry position. Not just the biggest ministry, but the most important and valuable ministry in all of Israel, in all of the world, because God is going to express himself through Israel. And the guy with the most valuable, most important ministry are these high priests. Nothing of greater significance. As important a ministry as any ministry can get. The scribes are the ones who are scripturally learned, commentators, expositors, Stating, expounding and applying the word of God. How to apply it in daily life. They are the guys who tell it. Now, if these aspects alone are to be taken as examples of spiritual maturity and spiritual wealth, 
and of disciple of becoming disciples and of discipleship these guys had it yet they missed it and they didn't miss one moment they missed it regularly for 2 years till finally it was taken away from them they didn't miss the kairos moment of 1 hour they missed the kairos moment over a period of 2 years in spite of having all of this two years so close yet so far unredeemed opportunities unredeemed life you know we look at these things i miss that moment i miss this moment these guys missed two years and the, these guys had a lot of knowledge these guys had a lot of experience just 9 kilometers away bible says call on him while he is near seek the lord when he is when he can be found and we say we read our bible we have grown in knowledge and we can discern between true and false gospel true and false apostles and prophets and as far as ministry is concerned you don't become a high priest or a scribe by laziness and indiscipline right those are not the characteristics if you should have if you're trying to become a high priest or a scribe lot of hard work lot of learning in word hard work quantity time spent in the word and in serving people in low and high positions at every level yet after all of this don't you still feel your 9 kilometers short don't we still feel we are a bit short still a bit short of an encounter with christ of an enc- of the supernatural life that the bible promises of being more than a conqueror of being an overcomer of being full of new wine of having rivers of living water flowing you know after all this do you still feel your short 38 years of impotence and he was always little bit short of entering into that fountain of healing that fountain of restoration 38 years and he was short 38 years of attendance and he was still short these guys spent time interpreting expounding scriptures ministering to all of israel and god says it didn't cut it for you boys did it now i asked my church so you married the right person you're going to the right church you're going to a good church you're raising your children the right way you're doing your job and you're calling the right way still you seem that you're not making able to make the cut still you're not able to enter in you feel you feel you're doing you're doing all those right things yet jesus says you're close <laughs> you're not in you're not far from the kingdom of god but you're not in yet you're not in that life yet you still feel short and dry now even if i'm i may be sounding sarcastic here okay but i don't want this sarcasm to be met with uh, an intellectual denial about our true condition because these questions are not for the mind these questions are more for the heart these questions are directed towards the heart not heads because even if i intellectually agree in my mind if i nod and i say yes to the best and the purest of sermons it's not going to alter my reality I'll say that again let me explain that i may convince myself i'm full of joy and i may convince myself rivers of living water are flowing anointing is flowing in rivers are flowing out 
I may convince all that, uh, myself of all of that, because I'm intellectually agreeing to the best and purest of sermons. But you know, after 12 months of marriage, I cannot seem to convince my wife of that. Nor can anyone else. Our families and people who we live with see that, okay, he's done all this, but he's still not in. We're still not into that, you know. So, the point I'm making is, intellectual agreement doesn't do it for us. Because people we live with, they see it all. They know if we are empty or if we are full. They know, they know what we are full of. They know what we are really full of. They know our joy, where we get our rest, where we find our rest. They know our anxieties specifically. My wife knows that even if I agree with Matthew 5 to 7, Galatians 5, and I can quote Exodus 20, all of Pastor Vijay and Pastor James' sermons, if I agree with it, where is, is it still bringing that difference which the Bible talks about? Or is there something more? No, because if I'm doing all this and it's still not bringing that change in my life which I hoped for, should I stop listening? No. Sermons are good, teaching is good, counseling is great. But what's the problem? You see, the listening to sermons and all the preaching and the, all these wonderful things, it's not enough. We have realized it personally. I hope in 10 years or 5 years of GTC you have realized it. Why? Because it was never meant to be enough. You know, James 1, verse 22 to 25. We know it, but let's just go through it again. I'm not going to any new passages. I'm just trying to go back to those old passages. Yeah. Okay. Again, this is something which you've heard over and over again. Be doers, don't just be listeners. And I'm not going to give an 11th commandment here. Not going to give more commandments here. Because honestly, doing, we've done a lot. Yet, what is it that we have missed doing which would have made the difference? Because these guys, the scribes and the high priests, they did a lot. It's not that they didn't do anything. It's not that they were just there and they didn't do anything. They did a lot, but yet they missed it. What was that thing? Okay, just before that, on the other hand, when we look at the wise men, right? These guys come from the east. They must have studied and traveled for months and the better part of those two years. They made their travel at night. In the morning, you can't see the star. They're not traveling in monsoon. It's cloudy. They're choosing the safe routes because they have wealth. So they can't take shortcuts. And it's a dangerous journey. And I don't know how many months it must have taken them. So how come these guys who were so far, and what were they relying on? Who was their prophet? Balaam. They had Pastor Balaam to guide them. And they made it. And they made it. Israel with all of the scriptures, with everything, couldn't make it. 
they were right there they didn't have to travel thousands of 9 kilometers they had reached 9 kilometers close and they couldn't go further with a cloud of great witnesses with the right interpretations with so many things they just couldn't make that distance they had less knowledge they had balaam's prophecies to guide them we have the gospels and paul and other apostles they had a star in a pitch black night we have the scriptures explained to us so well that it is as clear as day now coming back what is that thing which the bible says if you're just going to listen you're going to deceive yourself you got to be doers of the word okay what is that what did the wise men ha- do that the other guys were missing why does the scripture call them wise for it james says you just can't hear you got to do something what do i have to do more church attend more meetings more bible reading overcome some particular sin and these some things which keep running in our mind i got to pray more i got to fast more i need to go for more meetings i need to uh, overcome that sin then i will cut it then i will enter in we think these are the things right john chapter 6 verse 27 to 29 again we know this yet let's go back to it again chapter 6 verse 27 to 29 and can i have some water please i am very opposite to past james he doesn't drink i drink a lot of things <laughs> yeah do not labor for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give to you so on him so you have to labor right it's not saying don't lab- don't just don't do any work he's saying you got to labor you got there are things you have to do there is something you have to do but don't do for that thing which is not going to cut it for you there is something you have to do okay now verse 28 then they said to him what must we do to be doing the works of god yeah this thing which exactly god is saying i need to do to cut it what is that exact thing which i got to do and then jesus answer jesus answered them this is the work of god that you believe in him mm. he has sent that's it how easy this is where usually our response is been there done that <laughs> so finally you come back to square one and you say believe that's what you got to do and we have been there and we have done that what's and we say what's what's next you see we are so quickly to classify believe as something which is for non converts to do for people who have Uh, and not for people who have grown i just want to look at the importance of believing and then we'll uh, let the rubber meet the road and we'll understand where belief and unbelief is okay just uh, we won't go to these scriptures we have gone to them many times but uh, bible says labor to enter into his rest or in other versions make every effort to enter into his rest okay the bible also says same place they did not enter in because of unbelief so what are you actually laboring to do you have to labor put all your effort put all your resources in to do what to believe 
it's not actually child's play to believe we we put a lot of uh, effort to overcome sin to discipline ourselves to start praying more to start reading more of the bible we we put schedules and everything we download bible plans we do all of this for a lot of works and the main thing which god is saying is how much did you labor to actually believe that that's something i want to tackle today because for us like okay how what do you do to do that right that's a question mark right i mean if you tell me you should know the whole bible and you'll make the cut okay i have my plan if you tell me you have to overcome these secrets and okay we got a plan for that we're going to confess we're going to ask people to pray for us we're going to have a support group what do you do to believe <laughs> cuz you think you guys believe <laughs> and satan will say you did that already no believing is not the easiest thing in the christian life it's not like believe and then the important stuff is virtue patience knowledge and overcoming sin and being full of the holy spirit no believing is the toughest thing in christianity and everything else flows from it everything else virtue patience filling out the whole everything else flows from it acts 15:9 and then we'll go to galatians 3 2 and 3 so if two different people can go to it it'll be nice acts 15:9 and uh, galatians chapter 3 verse 2 and 3 and he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by, by faith mm-hmm. so sanctification came by faith not by works okay we'll just keep it <laughs> just keep it okay galatians 2 and 3 3 2 and 3 yeah let me ask you only this Yeah, where was your emphasis and what were you relying in to make the cut? Working it out or believing? Okay, that, uh, so he's basically asking a question, how did you receive the spirit? He's not talking about baptism. He's how did you get born again? What did you do for Christian birth? Just believe, right? And after that, the verse 3. Are you so foolish having begun by the He is saying the Christ, the secret to Christian growth is the same secret of the Christian new birth. Is not you get born in one way and then you grow in another. You grow the same way as you were born. And he is saying we lose it, we become fools when we abandon the secret of the Christian new birth and we apply some other method to grow in the Christian life. So how did we get born again? We believe. Now I want to ask you, has have we shifted the focus from belief from the emphasis and relying on actually believing to relying on a lot of discipline a, a lot of good works which are not bad which are very good which are aids you can say but have we put our reliance on those things even in fact even coming to a good church have we put our reliance on these things majorly as the major thing to help us grow you got to ask yourself that you got to ask yourself that has the emphasis shifted from believing to doing now if i do more i will grow more and honestly if you've been a christian long enough you realize that right it's not working because you did a lot where's the growth you feel you feel more full of the holy spirit you feel more joyful 
See, we can pretend and it just takes a week to lose it. We can pretend in a good controlled environment and after a week, we lose that whatever peace we said we were full of, whatever joy we said we were full of. It just takes one week. It just takes one bad day. And then Bruce Wayne becomes Batman. (laughs) One bad day. And then the peace and joy goes and I'm ready. (laughs) I'm ready for war. And So why do these things happen? These things are like God's megaphone saying, you lost your focus. The very thing which failed to give you a new birth, you are again relying on it now to grow. That didn't birth you in the first place. How will it make you grow? I will come to works. I am not going to neglect it. There is a place. Okay. But, so how do we get born again? Believe. How are we going to grow? By doing more of the same. By believing more. By believing more fully, more completely. What about works? Service, discipline, ministry, should we abandon it all? No. Works are the product of true faith. I'll say it again. Works are the product of true faith, not a partner. Let me say something. Maybe it will clash in some minds, but let me say it anyways. Faith plus works is not equal to salvation. Faith is equal to salvation plus works. Faith plus works is not equal to salvation. Faith is equal to Salvation plus works. Have you been trying faith plus works is equal to salvation? In, in, in your life, in your personal faith, did Jesus on the cross said, say, it is 90% finished. I need you to push it. <laughs> the next 10%. Because if that has been the application of the gospel in your life, It has been faith plus works and you are seeing it's not saving you, right? It's not saving you from yourself. We are saved by grace. Through faith and the faith which saves is never alone. It produces works as a byproduct of salvation. And we are, that's why he says we are persuaded of better things for people who are saved, things which accompany salvation. These are not things which cause salvation. These are things which accompany salvation. I'm, I'm looking at salvation in the broad context, not justification only. Not that one time going to the altar call only. Now let the rubber meet the road. The Bible says, having cleansed our hearts by faith. Sanctification happens by faith, right? We read that in Acts 15.9. Cleansed our hearts from what? From what? Let's run through as much as we can. First thing, sin. Cleansed our hearts from what? First thing, sin. Okay, now... Sin abides in our heart mainly because of its pleasures. The Bible says, uh, Hebrews 11.25, that uh, Moses, right, forsaking the pleasures of Egypt, the uh, pleasures of sin, pleasures of sin. So sin has pleasures and it is those pleasures where our hearts get entangled. And that's why the Bible says, look unto Jesus, set aside all the author and finisher of our faith, putting aside every weight. And every sin which entangles, how does it entangle? How does it claw its way into our heart? Because of its pleasure which it offers. Because of the pleasure which it, which it offers, which it offers. Simply put, we are entangled in computer games and ungodly soul ties, unable to break away from it, craving for impressing a boy or a girl in office or college or pastor in church or a victory in your 
favorite PUBG game. Because those, no, no, let's listen here. Because in our heart, we believe that those things are more satisfying, anxiety reading, if that is a word, peace giving, soul uplifting and heart fulfilling than Christ. Right. Because you get a certain exhilaration when you see winner, winner, chicken dinner. Because you get a certain exhilaration when somebody says, I like you. Or even if they say, I think I like you. (laughs) That's enough. (laughs) It gives a certain exhilaration. It It delivers us from that anxiety which was keeping us awake in the night. Should I say, should I not say it? And if you tell that person who is getting so much satisfaction from these things, you need to read the Bible more, you need to pray more, nothing's going to change. Because that's not what's satisfying them. It's not a problem of discipline, it's a problem of the heart. If you say change your schedule, doesn't make a difference. He's laboring for something which does not satisfy. What is satisfying that person actually at that moment is something else or someone else. I'm going to punch above my weight after some time. So because of our unbelief in, un, because of our unbelief in the surpassing excellencies of Christ, which we have very well memorized and read books about, our heart is still nine kilometers away. Because we don't believe it, though we have memorized it. Now I'll punch above my weight. Then I'll come back to my level. If on the second or the third, okay, now we're talking people who don't play PUBG. <laughs> That's what I meant by punching above my weight. No, not that I play PUBG. <laughs> okay. If on the second or the third of the month, what happens? Of every month. We get an SMS, right? Yeah. Stating 20 or 30k or whatever has been deposited into your account. If that gives you more peace and relief, and serves to rid you of your anxieties and brings new hope for a new near future into your life more than the blood-bought promises of God. Dear brother, dear sister, you have a big problem right there. The moment you get that SMS, if that gives you more relief, if that releases the pressure on you and relieves you of tension, that SMS gives you the promise you can, you can breathe now. If you feel that when you get that SMS. If you feel that and you don't feel that when you read a promise of God, you are in big problem. You can say we have faith, but you don't. You see, so the problem is really of unbelief. I'm not going to any new verses or some passage which we have not gone to. Where was See, all that God is saying is that He wants the heart. We can do all these things and yet if we don't love God, we're like the church of Ephesus. If the heart is not there in worship, He doesn't want the worship. Worship means you give your best. You're all in. You're not 90% in. Okay, now I'll ask something for the married people. Or for those intending to get married. Just imagine. If on your wedding night, 
when husband and wife newly husband and wife those who are married are in that physically very intimate act and your partner was not all in emotionally uh, uh but it was like distracted or checking score how much did virat kohli make <laughs> wouldn't you get disgusted and feel dishonored if your wife was thinking about something else wouldn't you get disgusted and feel dishonored not that they are thinking about another guy or another woman but just about yeah i don't think my sari was that good today no that moment demands your all right it that moment does, doesn't just demand you physically it demands your all it demands your heart it demands your mind it, it demands your trust it demands your vulnerability it demands your emotions it demands everything of you and if we think worship is anything lesser than that intimate act i don't think we are really saved any saved person any person who is born of the spirit realizes worship is deeper than that right am i right so if your husband or your wife your spouse won't accept a disconnect of your heart during such an intimate act don't how dishonored is god when you cut short emotionally in expressions in this in that that's why i say intellect won't do it intellect won't cut it just mechanical obedience won't cut it if we really think worship is something which demands less than what our spouses demand from us in the most intimate act no variance for a surprise now i'll retreat back to my level if a super over if extra time 30 minutes of that football game between your favorite teams is more satisfying and emotionally exhilarating than pastor james taking an extra half an hour then <laughs> you got mind you got your mind on the things of the flesh plain pastor james takes half an hour do we react oh yeah this is the climax this is that extra revelation <laughs> do we react like that no we don't react like that because we don't believe but we believe there's something in that extra half an hour in football or if that super over in cricket or if your computer game whatever thing is ex- extended we believe and you will want that phone conversation not to get over what new revelation will she tell <laughs> but it's so emotionally satisfying those things right why because the problem is not that you're not reading enough of the bible clearly let me tell you i don't think that's the problem in gtc maybe it is for some people who stopped reading the bible but those who have heard a lot of sermons that's not the problem problem is lack of faith not believing what we've already heard not believing what we've already read you see are these are the things which actually speak volumes and tells us of how far our heart is from bethlehem what are these things our emotions you see our emotions are god's megaphone to show us where our heart really is crying your heart is there <laughs> 
your heart is there your heart is there that's what our emotions tell us all the time when in marriage you know you get fed up and you say aren't you supposed to honor me like the bible says that's your emotion screaming that's god screaming through your emotion and saying honor from your wife actually satisfies you rather than honor from god now shouldn't wives honor their husbands definitely they should that's biblical okay right that's for them to do but you depending on honor from your wife or from your husband that shows you where you get your security from that shows you where you get your wholeness and your healing from that shows you those compliments or that attention or that honor is actually your healing that is your healer that gives you completion now we say we get it a bit but then there's something in us which always say okay even if i get it i'm not going to enter into that grace that level of grace that level of peace that level of joy which pastor james may be enjoying which maybe elsa aunty is enjoying and then we ask ourselves why why, why if i ask why do you think you won't enjoy what pastor james is enjoying cuz i'm a sinner that's usually the answer cuz i sin a lot i know my secret sins i continuously sin and uh, i'm a husband who inadequately provides for his family i'm guilty about it i can't keep promises which i made at the altar whether it's a wedding altar whether it's the altar call so therefore how can i be how can i enjoy that peace if i'm a single mother who's guilty about failing to raise my child according to god's revealed standards i'm so bad on most days i can't lift my hands up in worship just one question if that is your answer if that is your if you feel that because you won't enter into that high level where pastor james is that grace that peace that love that joy you won't get it because you are a sinner if that is your answer i want to say if you could do all that you should do and live by those standards which we have in our mind that you would be a good husband you would be a good wife be a good mom be a good pastor you then would you be able to worship and rejoice in god yeah if i didn't struggle with secrets and if i didn't have all these issues yeah i could have i could worship and enjoy god and uh, i would rejoice in god then my again my second question is this if you do if you could do all that you should do and live by those standards of be a good husband wife mom pastor etc why would you need jesus to die for you <laughs> if you could do it what need of a savior you just need a helper to push you a little bit one inch higher on your moral plane the guys who can't do a push up just help me out no a little bit so i can just put my chin above and feel yeah, i did it you know first few months after marriage i was doing the best i could going the second mile taking it all and absorbing it but you know why i was doing it i was doing it for her i was doing it because i have to be a good husband it was not for my wife it was for me to show that i can be a good husband she'll tell you earlier that for her birthday when she's in pune i would send a song not i mean i would sing and send it right the problem with me was that i'll record it and then listen to it and think that i can do better i don't care if it's beyond 12 o'clock i need to send something which is perfect 
Suddenly, it's not about her and her birthday. It's about me. Outwardly, wow, he's doing it. He's going the second mile. He's doing a great job. But inwardly, he's not doing it for her. He's doing it for himself. So there was this king, good noble king, and a farmer of his uh, land came to him and said, "You're such a good king. You've been so good to us. I uh, this this year the crop was good, he, and uh, we put in uh, what's it called carrots. Yeah, we put in carrots, and this was the biggest carrot that came out. And I want to give it to you, king, and I'm because you've been so good to us." The king accepted it very happily and while the farmer was, old farmer was going back, he said, please come back, go to my window, you see that land over there, I think you're a really good hard working farmer, I want to give you that land so that you can do more of this because you're really good. There was this noble beside the king, you know, who was watching all this from a distance. He calculated one carrot, one acre, thousand carrots, tomorrow I'll get. So... He gets in a horse pulling this cart, thousand carrots. King, you are so good. You are so loving. You are so kind. You ruled us so well that I want to give you these thousand carrots. <laughs> the king said, oh, thank you. Took it? I, okay, no, you can go. The noble is thinking, one is equal thousand, thousand is equal to zero. <laughs> what is this? And the king called him and said, Yesterday the farmer gave me one carrot. Today you gave yourself thousand carrots. You're not doing it for me. You're doing it for yourself. That's why you do anything. All these things for which Christ, which Christ already bought for you and is giving to you free. And you're trying to earn it on your own. By doing, 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 doing rather than believing, believing and receiving. You're not doing it for God. How does God get glorified? By you believing. By you receiving. Come up and be there. And then receive from me and then give. Not do first. Not put the people in order. Not take them to the promised land. And then if you have done that, then you come up. No, first you come up. First redemption. Then righteousness. Then worship. First I go to redeem you. First you go to believe. Before I get ahead of myself. Most of us don't act as if we really need a savior, just a helper to give us a push. The problem is if we are only able to worship God on the days and weeks when we have lived well, you're not worshipping God because he is good and his blood was enough. You're worshipping God because you were good and your hard work was enough. You see, even in ministry, if I fail and if I get depressed and I want to quit because of my failure, and if I feel purposeless after that, and on the other hand, if I feel extremely great and top of the world, if my ministry succeeds, I'm not rejoicing in God, I'm rejoicing in my works. Two pastors can, let's say Pastor Vijay and me, we can go through the same circumstances, and success, he'll be humble, and in failure, he'll not be discouraged, and if success makes me proud, and failure makes me discouraged, I was, my heart was resting on my works. That's from where I was getting my security and not from the finished work of Christ. My heart was, now I'm not saying that we should not correct ourselves. Th that we know we have to do. There's no debate about that. 
I am talking about inordinate desires, inordinate uh, emotional upsets and cravings and up and down. All these things only reveal that my heart finds its security in my works, which are unstable and not in Christ's permanent work on the cross. It reveals that my satisfaction is coming from my work and not Christ. That's why I think I've lost it when ministry fails. Or if your boss gives you a bad report. You think you've lost it, my career is over, I'm good for nothing. Definitely you have to work hard, efficiently, all that is fine. But if you feel all is lost and your work, when your work fails, basically you have set your security on something that you earned by your works and your greatest treasure in life is not something which you did not earn but which was freely given to you. Therefore you can lose it. But if my security is is on something which I did not earn, which somebody else earned and gave it to me, I cannot lose it. I have a security, I have a confidence. Why? Because I didn't earn it through my works. So what if I fail? He already earned it by his work and his work, he's not like sometimes failing, sometimes succeeding. He finished it. That gives me security. That gives me security. Otherwise, my failures will determine my future. What if some were unfaithful? Isn't that Romans 2-2? Sorry, 3-2? Shall we read it? What if some were unfaithful? Not remembering the exact full verse. Has their unbelief nullified the faithfulness of God? (laughs) Such a comforting verse. For me. What if at a point I have failed because of my unbelief? Will my unbelief nullify God's faithfulness? No. That's why I can be secure. That's why I don't need to be upset. That's why I can worship. That's why I can come to the altar every time. And that's why there's nothing that I can confess which will make, which will bring a change to God's heart about me. No matter what. I don't, in fact, I don't even need to go to God and say, Lord, I wasted my time playing PUBG. I need to, I can even go to God and say, Lord, honestly, my heart finds more joy in PUBG rather than in your promises. You think if you confess that, that is too bad? There's nothing. And we hate confessing things about our heart. We like confessing things which are handed, you know. By mistake, you know, I spent more time, I was not watching the clock, I spent more time. No, that's not the, that's not what we should be confessing. We should be confessing, Lord, this is what my heart finds joy in. Not you. As long as you confessed mistakes which you committed by your hands and not looked at the time and this and that, oh, by mistake that was a click. As long as you confessed, you confess your works, and not really the condition of your heart, you're saying, I'm actually fine. I just made a mistake. But the person who comes and says, I'm leprous top down, and not just one spot over here, he's declared clean. Who says, there's nothing good that dwells within me, he, he's declared clean. He can come and worship. But we always want to minimize sin just to an act rather than to a matter of the heart. Sin is something I do, not that dwells within me. But the moment you say, sin dwells within me. Lord, I love this game. Lord, I'm crazy for this person. Lord, I'm crazy for approval. I find more joy in food. I find more joy in this. I find more joy in my appearance, Lord. Take that to God.
you cannot overcome any sin which is not confessed. You know that, right? When you have only, you can only overcome confessed sins. Unconfessed sins are only suppressed. They are not overcome. Two kinds of sin, right? Outward, the other ones are inward, which you suppress. That's why, I think it was George Whitfield who said, first you got to sin, repent of all your sin, then you got to repent of all your self-righteousness. <laughs> why? All those things which we suppressed inside. Tell God, you, that, you, you hated that person. Tell God all those things. You see, if you, f- when people come to me and say they feel unworthy, I said, sure, yes, you are unworthy. <laughs> they feel, they say, I feel I should be judged. I said, yeah, I agree. True, should be judged. But I say, also believe that Jesus was already judged. Already judged for you. Every time, don't think that you will, you are judging yourself beyond like to some crazy degree to which you should not be judging yourself. No. The more you know of Christ, the more you will end up judging yourself, really. But always realize that Christ knew that about you even before he died. Don't you believe that your condemnation for your acts was put on Jesus? Now the, now this kind of faith protects me from pride. You know why? Because now if I am blessed and gifted, there is no credit to my obedience. My obedience has not earned one single blessing. Because if I am bringing my works into account, God will say, okay, bring it all in then. Now we don't want that. Right? We don't want that. So what gives me that blessing? How, how do I get blessed? If I believe Christ earned it for me on the cross. So this entire thing that I fasted for 40 days and then now, I'm not saying fasting is wrong, but if, if my belief is me fasting for 40 days is going to give me more blessing. No. No. I deserve the wrath of God. 40 days of fasting doesn't change that. I deserve going to hell. 80 days of fasting doesn't change that. So, how come now I have grace? How come now I have a blessing? How can I actually hope for a blessing now? Not because of 40 days of fasting. That is so that I can believe. (laughs) Those 40 days of fasting is so that I can believe more. So that God can show me areas of unbelief. Not so that I can earn a blessing. Because all that has to be earned, Christ earned it on the cross. And now he's made it available to me. But the moment I think, okay, I'm earning it through these methods. That's where we go astray. That's where we go astray. Every revelation, Christ worked hard to give it to me. To make it available for me. It's not to my credit. There is no room for boasting, Paul says. No room. No room. These guys traveled thousands of miles, but they believed first, Christ gave them a sign. They believed first, Christ left heaven for them and traveled much more than thousands of miles and left much more than an earthly throne because if these guys were kings, much more than earthly wealth. And therefore, these guys went that shorter distance to meet Christ. You see, if your altar, every person who built genuine altars in the Old Testament, Abraham, Gideon, all these guys, it never started with them building altars. It was always the God of glory appeared. The angel of the Lord spoke to Gideon. Then they built an altar. If you are building altars, 
if you are initiating worship, it's going to be religion. Worship has to be a response, not an initiation from man. Worship is a response to God's revelation about himself. If I think I'm going to light a fire over here, it's not going to happen. God has already done it. Now I have to respond to what he has done. Means I look at Christ, I see his worthiness and what I do is a response to his worthiness. Think of this. A guy deceives his father okay, and has done something very bad, made a mockery of his father's weakness and now he has run away from home. Okay, imagine if your son or your daughter do something very bad. Right. Are you going to punish them or give them a revelation of angels climbing up and down the staircase? (laughs) That's Jacob. He's searching for home. East or west, God says up. He sees the staircase coming right down to his head or to that stone. Not you climb up. I came down. What I'm saying is back to the point that it's grace. You have it's more about faith. You see, if you now now people say, you know, if you remove the fear of failure, what about works? If you remove the fear of failure, you know, because if I'm always afraid that uh, if you remove the fear of failure, then people won't work. Now, I understand for kids that has to be there. They are under bondage to beggarly elements, Old Testament people. They are put under the tutors and there was fear in their lives. Okay, yeah, I, to some level I agree. But honestly, if the fear of punishment was the only motivation for your obedience, that you will get punished if you don't come to church. As auntie will scold you. Pastor will be upset with you. If fear of punishment is the only thing that is driving your obedience, how sad that is. How sad that is. You know, because just imagine if my wife fearfully making great food for me, fearfully, uh, you know, ironing, cleaning, doing all that. And one day if she, I say, hey, today it was too salty, right? And she starts crying and telling me, please don't throw me out of the house. Please, please don't send me back. I'll honestly be heartbroken because I'll be like, all this time, and you were still not secure that I loved you. You still thought, I'm like, one mistake and you're out. So the motivation for all your good works was fear and not love. That's why the motivation of fear, it, you may see many times it fails. Why? Because at home, parents say, you do this, bad. Something bad will happen to you. You'll get punished. This, that, everything. Then they go to school. They get a motivation of pride over there. What are you? Gay or what? You don't know the names of girls. They are touching your pride over there. Right? I can't be gay. I'll talk to girls. Right? They are motivating you through pride and suddenly that motivation feels stronger than the motivation of fear at home. You need something to motivate you which is more than pride and fear. What is that? What motivated you to receive Christ? Going into hellfire? <laughs> now what was it? What was it that broke your heart? Fear. It was love of God. Right? That's why Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. 
That's what John 4.18 says, right? 1 John 4.18, that perfect love casts out fear. Faith works in love. Again, I'll just give an example. Imagine I was this guy who was uh, not married, okay, and uh, that I was, that Joanne was some Bollywood actress or a Hollywood actress and I would be dreaming about her, yet I'm totally away from her and I'm in the dumps. And then, just imagine, okay, I'm just giving you food for thought. Just, and then she says that, uh, she finds me out and she says, listen, one year from now, I'm going to marry you. I who felt unworthy, who would just dream about her, right? Suddenly, uh, like she says, one year from now, I'm going to marry you. Now, what is my motivation to get a job, to be hardworking, to go shave, to take care of myself? <laughs> it, it would be the fact that I can't believe she loved me. I can't believe she made that decision to an unworthy person. Right? It's not the fear of rejection. That fear of rejection has been already been taken care of. By her accepting me. That's what God says. That love is the strongest motivation. And that's got to do with the heart. That is why what we need to go to and tell God is not that I messed up here, I messed up there. Tell God, Lord, my heart doesn't love you. I love something else. Tell God that. Tell God what you really love. Then forgiveness becomes easy. You see, unforgiveness is 100% in the heart of the only, of, of, of the one who is operating in the system of works. Not in the system. And salvation is only in the system of grace. What is unforgiveness? If I am uh, if I am not forgiving Pastor Vijay, it means that he's done something which I am saying in my mind I would never do. Right? His works are bad. My works are not bad. And God is like, okay dude, I saved you by grace by the way. You are judging him on the system of works. But I saved you by grace. You get it? You can only be unforgiving to anybody. You can only be bitter to somebody because of their works. Right? But works is the exact thing, that system is the exact thing Christ delivered us from. And God is saying, now, grace, now love, where even excommunication is done in love. Where put him out so that his soul may be saved. Do you realize everything is based on love now and in grace now? The moment you st- we start judging people based on works, we have demonized them. We are putting them in a category below sinners, below that people who can be redeemed. Sinners are people who can be redeemed. And we are saying, that person is unforgivable because of what he or she did. And I I know horrible things have happened. All over India, it keeps happening. But we have to always remember, we cannot demonize. We cannot demonize. We are the people who, out of all people, cannot demonize. Yes, there is justice. Yes, there is punishment. But there is no demonization. Why? Because Christ paid the price. And if Christ paid the price for you and you believe that, you can't be double standard about it because he paid the price for the person we have not forgiven also. So if Christ does not hold our works against us, we cannot hold their works against them. You remember that parable? King and this guy, his servant, right? Now this guy was not 
daily laborer i mean to be such to do such a big fraud of billions and billions you, it's like vijay malya now just for a moment think if tomorrow president says prime minister says government of india says nirav modi vijay malya all these huge defaulters pardoned debt cleared riots right economic economic instability chaos everywhere change the government right now people will demand right how can you let these people just forgive them like that and here the king is forgiving a person like that who has not like i stole 50 rupees from you please forgive me no he is forgiving him is going to cause instability in the kingdom is going to starve the kingdom of resources and yet the king forgives him he doesn't forgive another person now i'll ask you one question what kind of people what kind of people does the king forgive in those in that fashion who does the king forgive at that level what what kind of people to which kind of people does the king offer that level of forgiveness for example son in hindi we have a saying samajhdar ke liye ishara kafi hai you didn't realize i was treating you as a son forgiveness was the concept was the sign that god is saying i'm treating you as a son this is offered this level of forgiveness is only offered to sons you just took it as thank you you forgave me i'm not guilty about it anymore if you just took christianity as something to get guilt off your chest you have you have not understood that forgiveness was just an ishara it was just a sign where god saying i am treating you as a son as a daughter the purpose was not to make oh thank you lord you took guilt away from me now i can go back to my life no it was to make you a son and a daughter that is what he gave that is why you get blessed because he is treating you like sons and daughters that is what gives us an inheritance after that we can forgive why because paul says i know what i am the biggest sinner i crucified jesus once you realize that nobody can sin bigger than what you have already sinned then no matter what they did their sin becomes small in front of your sin and when you realize for this much sin i got this much grace i can for that person i can at least give this much grace and wipe it away look at all the things we, we when we get irritated when we get frustrated when so many things when pastor says don't deal with the person deal with the issue why do we always mess up in these areas why because we are operating in a system of works and not grace at the root of it yes that's from where all false doctrine starts but more than that that's from ev- where every wrong every wrong faulty behavior starts it's from unbelief and grace because you believe something else will satisfy and even after great works which paul did he says not i but the grace of god he goes back into every town and starts preaching in every church and the word says establishing them in the word of his grace by the word of grace guilt unforgiveness pride 
envy, bitterness, insecurity, stinginess, not being sacrificial, all these result from unbelief. If we actually judge ourselves, you will, and you start going down into each and every sin, at the heart you will find there is something where you have actually put your trust in something which you have earned. There is something which you are afraid of losing which you have earned. Don't labor for that which does not satisfy. Why do we get upset when people malign us? I worked hard for my reputation. You are burning my reputation. How, how, how are we wounded? Yes, we are wounded because of others. But the wound festers and grows because of our unbelief. You know, Joab goes and kills Absalom. Why? Absalom burnt his field earlier, some years ago. I worked hard for that field. That was my profit. Now, whatever that is for you. Christian reputation, you built your image in the church, you made yourself useful, and now, suddenly, one remark, and your field is burnt, which you had prepared over seasons and seasons of sowing. <laughs> right? And then one guy just burns it up. <laughs> How do you react? Well, if that was not your treasure, you will not mind. You get what I mean? But if that was your security, you will protect it with everything. And if you are wounded, now you'll be like Joab, where your wounds, your emotions are running, are ruining your your duty. Says, please be careful with my son David. Says, don't hurt him. Goes and kills him off. Why? Another case, same guy, Joab. His brother, Ashail, and one more brother of his Joab's. Uh, no, not Abner. Abner was the other guy. So, okay, Ashel, uh, Ashel, right? So, Ashel is this guy, fast runner, youngest brother. And he's pursuing Abner when the house of Saul and house of David are fighting, right? Not going to those scriptures, just finishing off. So he's pursuing this guy. Now this guy wants to punch above his waist. Uh, okay, above, above his weight. Now, so, Abner is the stronger guy, more experienced guy, but he's older, so he's not as fast as Ashel. And he's saying, dude, turn away. <laughs> Okad <laughs> Don't, don't mess. Please. I like, I mean, I have respect for your brother Joab. How will I face him? No, just go fight, you know, in lightweight category. You're, you're shifting categories here. No, no, I can take you. One shot is down. Joab keeps it in his heart. But that was war. Later when there's peace, he goes and kills him off in deception, in a time of peace. You don't deal with wounds in your life. It's going to affect your duty. And these are unhealed wounds. Yeah, we've been wounded, whatever. But you didn't accept, we didn't, we didn't allow Christ to heal us in those areas. When Christ is the healer. And he's basically going to say, you're not healed because of your unbelief. Because you made this thing so great which you labored for, whether it's your reputation, whether it's your career, whether it's your gifts, whether it's your talent, whatever it is. Whatever it is that makes you feel special. What is it? You know, even knowledge, right? I worked hard for it. I studied, I spent hours. It's not easy. One question. I, I tell my church, there's nothing like mehnat ki kamai. There is, yes, hard work does bring prosperity, but it's not a complete truth. I'll tell you why. Just in case, if you were born 40 years ago in Vietnam, what knowledge would you have? 
would you even be alive at this age? Would you be rank one on your favorite games? Would you even have a game to play? Would you have a family? Now we our families are full of saved people and we are happy. Yeah, my family is saved. We wouldn't even have a family. We wouldn't be alive. Do you realize everything was grace? All these things depended our education, our knowledge of languages, our knowledge of the Bible, so many books we can read. All these things just depended on God saying, I choose to birth you in in the 1980s or the 1970s in India. That's it. There's nothing which you can boast of which you have not received, Paul says. The Israelite farmers, right? I worked hard and I got this fruit. God says, but I gave you the land. Yeah, you worked hard. Who gave you that land? I gave you that land. If you didn't have that land, the best of the land, the hundredfold yielding land, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to produce that much. And if I take credit for it, I'm saying it's not of grace, it's of works. And if somebody else takes it from me, then I can't worship. Job worshipped. Because it's of grace, it's not of works. It came from God, it goes back to God. He has, He's sovereign over it. He has every right to it. Everything. You know, so basically this, if you realize it's all based on grace, then you will even be able to work more. Just as I gave that example of love, it will motivate you to work more. Paul said, I feel this grace working in me and so I strive exceedingly according to his power working mightily in me. And that's what helps them make that trip of thousand kilometers or whatever. That's what, because they know it's grace. What happened to Moses? He was like, "Uh, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. Now, honestly, I don't believe it was humility. Because the Bible says God was angry with him. God doesn't get angry with humble people. <laughs> right? We know that God doesn't get angry with humble people. Now what does humility mean? Isaiah says that, to this person I will look who is humble and contrite who? Trembles at my word. Humility is, and the humble are the people who receive grace. Right? So humility is, humble people are those people who just take God's word and believe it. It's not people who think great about themselves or less about themselves. It's not that. People who believe God's word are humble. Now here is a person, Moses, who is saying, I am nothing, based on my track record. I am nothing, I messed up, 40 years, I have, even these sheep are my father-in-laws. I am nothing, I have nothing, I am good for nothing. Send somebody else. That's what he believes about himself. What is he looking at? He's looking at his works. What is God looking at? Not at his works, definitely not. God is looking at his own power, his grace. And God is saying, your election, your choosing, me choosing you is an election of grace. Is an election based on grace. If you are saying, Moses, if Moses you are saying, I cannot do it, you are insulting my grace. Whenever you say, I cannot make that sacrifice, I can't make that commitment, I can't follow Christ on those waters, you are looking at your track record. You're saying, I can't overcome that sin. I can't do... You're looking at your track record. You're looking at your record of failures. You're looking at your works and not on Christ's work. Christ's work says, done. Done. My grace is sufficient for you. But I have failed all the time. Let me tell you, sin is not the problem anymore. Christ died to settle that problem once and for all. What is the problem? Unbelief. 
He didn't die to settle that. He died to settle the problem of sin. Now he says, you just have to believe. The moment you believe, you will realize sin is not the problem anymore. You can overcome it. The power of sin is broken. All these things are written, yet we don't believe it. Because we keep looking at our track record and say, but I failed, but I failed, but I failed. Why? Because you were relying on discipline. Why? Because you were relying on hard work. Why? Because you were relying on many good things. Yes, we thank God for the church, for support circles and for prayer groups. Yes, but the main thing that helps us cross over is faith. And these things are aids to help us. Add to your faith all these things. But if you don't have faith and you keep adding, it will still amount to zero. You won't be able and let me tell you, finally, I can't use that illustration, but uh, just imagine, you know, if your hands were wet, I told you to wash your hands, okay? And then I take a soap, and I wet that soap, and I say, Sam, just catch it, <laughs> right? Or if I tell the boys, catch it, would you, with one hand, would you be able to catch it? Your hands are wet, the soap is wet. It will slip through. You see, that's the gospel, that's the problem. The gos- Because of our sin, we are unable to have a long, firm hope on the gospel and that is why we need to come back to it and listen to sermons daily. Why? To increase our brownie points? No. Because we fall away from faith daily. Jonah, in the whale, you, you, you said, you realize that, Lord, I am saved by grace, it's only your grace. I was disobedient, yet you saved me and you are taking me to Nineveh. Now you are judging the same people based on their works. But just now God was favorable to you, not because of your works, but because of his grace. Three days and you forgot it. Three days journey and you forgot it. Forty days and you forgot it. Now you are waiting for them to be judged based on their works. You are not looking at their faith that they have repented. Not looking at their faith at all. For you, yes, your faith will save you. But for them, their works will judge them. That's why I say the gospel is like soap. It slips off. Joshua, commander of the army. How long did it take for you to become proud? (laughs) <laughs> one victory. <laughs> and how long did it take for you to become depressed? One defeat. <laughs> That's why you need to come back to the gospel over and over and over again. That's why we listen to sermons. That's why we need fellowship. That's why for faith, for faith, faith takes us over and these things help our faith. Father God, we come to your throne of grace at this time. We pray, O oh Lord God, that we'll not, we'll not let Anything, O oh Lord, take the place of faith in our lives. We just have to believe you've done it, O oh Lord God. And all the things you've blessed us with, it's to increase our faith, O oh Lord. And I pray, O oh Lord, we would not rely on the works of the law. We would rely on your grace, because you said your grace is sufficient. O oh Lord, and whoever, all of us, Lord, struggling with emotions in our heart, ups and downs, I pray your grace would break us and then lift us up, O oh Lord. I pray we would be able to contain both truths in our heart, that we are absolutely unworthy because of our sins. But, O Lord, we are loved beyond our wildest imagination and we are accepted, O Lord, and you have done all that it takes to fulfill and satisfy this weak heart, O Lord God. And you have done all that it takes to help us finish the race. Just, O Lord, help us to believe and I pray that we will believe. And for that I pray that we will break that cursed reliance on the flesh, O Lord God. And we'll have that blessed reliance on the word of God and on your finished work, O Lord. Thank you, Father. By faith we apply the blood of Jesus over ourselves. Please take us back home safely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.